Broadcasting live from the North Pole, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible women talk about horror. My name's Louisa, and I'm joined by my fellow evil elves, Mila, Taya, and Zeba. And this is our holiday special. But before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify and or subscribe to us on YouTube and the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. For this episode, we are going to be talking about two of the Black Christmas films and The Lodge. We will be starting with the Canadian 1974 original Black Christmas directed by Bob Clark, then moving on to the most recent 2019 remake directed by Sophia Takal. Lastly, we will be discussing the 2019 film The Lodge directed by Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala. We will discuss how the representation of women in these Black Christmas movies has changed through the decades by comparing the original with the latest remake. We will also be diving into the psychological and gaslighting elements of horror in The Lodge. Go spike your eggnog or hot chocolate and grab a seat because we have quite a treat. Enjoy! Do you guys have any fun or not so fun Christmas stories? I have a I have a feminist Christmas story, a personal one that I just <gasps> I remembered right now. Okay, so when I was small, imagine it. All I wanted was an easy bake oven for Christmas, and I was like, I if love it's those. the only thing I put on my list, my mom has to get me an easy bake oven. It is the absolute law. So I put it on my list. I wrote it to Santa. I did all the put left the cookies, did everything I was supposed to do. I came down in the morning, my little tiny feet and I saw a box the size of an Easy Bake Oven, and I ran down, and I ripped it open, and it was fucking Legos, and I was crying, and my mom goes, we don't cook for men in this house, and I have never recovered. <laughs> I kind of love your mom. Though. Yeah. I still want an Easy Bake Oven, though, and I don't use the real oven. My friend had one, and it was really good, and I, whenever I went over and we used it, it was like this is like wealth you know what I mean mm-hmm. how long did you guys believe in Santa Claus I'm a gullible re- really gullible person like if you tell me something's true and gaslight me enough into it <laughs> easy prey easy prey so um I believed until Santa I think until I was like 12 like I was old and I remember when I found out I was like devastated because I was like, there's no magic in the world. And I was old as well. So it's like a hard time to like swallow that pill. And then I was like crying. And because my mom also told me like everything didn't exist. Like no tooth fairy, no Easter bunny, nothing. Uh, and I was like crying. And I was like, well, at least there's leprechauns. And she was like, there are no leprechauns either. <laughs> That's part of the deal. Why would you want there to be leprechauns? Because my mom used to celebrate... She used to go out, like, all out on holidays. Like, every single one of these mythical creatures would give me a present. Like, not nothing major. Like, not every day, not every holiday would be, like, Christmas. But, like, they'd get me, like, a little something. So I was like, well, at least there's leprechauns. And she was like, no, babe, you idiot child. Like, no. There definitely is magic, though, if that helps. (laughs) Thank you. I learned that as I got older again. I was like, okay, magic exists in different ways, but not in the way that I thought. (laughs) Did your mom raise you with any sort of religion? No. My dad went to Catholic school and he said the way to ensure that somebody is not Catholic is to make them go, go to, to Catholic, Catholic school. school. I attest to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bless your heart and soul. I grew up in the South, so I had to be religious. I think in America, you kind of have vague Christian ideals. Like, vaguely, I guess I would have been Christian, but I never, like, 
strongly believed in anything and i'm then decided i was atheist or ag- not atheist but like agnostic more spiritual pretty mm-hmm. early on I also wasn't raised with a religion from either of my parents, but my mum, she's Italian and so by default Catholic. I was aware of the idea of God also through primary school. And actually, as I realised Father Christmas wasn't real, then I made the leap to a higher <laughs> being. But I had no like resentment towards that. Moved on with my life. You guys are so lucky. You had a childhood of like believing Santa Claus was real, but I think I was like maybe seven when I was like, nah, Santa Claus isn't real because my mom was a single parent, so we would just go Christmas shopping with her because she had nowhere else to take us. Uh-huh. So we would just go Christmas shopping with her and see the presents, and then she would like try to hide them and say that she didn't get them after we watched her get them. <laughs> it just wasn't really a believable backstory. So I did not really have a time where I believed in Santa Claus. But yeah, I was raised with religion. I remember when I was. Well, I don't remember it, but I, when I popped out the wound, they like threw some holy water on me and was like, okay, she can go to hell. <laughs> and I got baptized again like two more times. Thank you everyone who has followed our new TikTok account. We're really grateful for everyone who's watched our videos. Thank you for commenting. We love to see your thoughts on our thoughts. It's pretty surreal how almost half a million people have listened to us talk about period and sperm. Um, my parents are super proud. Uh, thank you. Final lines, closing lines. Thank you all. Don't forget to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Tell us we're amazing. Leave us a review and possibly get featured as our Witch of the Week. But this week we're doing Witch of the Week a little bit differently. Ty, do you want to talk about that? So guys, since it's the holidays, we wanted to do Witch of the Week differently and we will be highlighting a charity to encourage our listeners to donate to during the holiday season. The charity we selected was the Lodge Star Riley Keos during Giving Tuesday, and we chose the COVID Relief Indigenous Youth Skateboard Project. You can donate on the Seeding Sovereignty page on globalgiving.org, and we hope that you will donate to this project or any other projects that are close to your heart. Thank you so much. Happy holidays and happy listening. Originally titled Silent Night, Evil Night, Black Christmas is a slasher film set in a sorority house. The film starts with the house receiving an obscene phone call leading to a murder spree. As the film was made in 1974, it follows the traditional horror film formula more than the succeeding two films. Hello? 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 Hey, quiet! It's him again! The Mona! He's expanded his act. Do you guys have any sorority or fraternity stories? Or any creepy experiences in... Well, every experience in a fright house is creepy. <laughs> I avoid it like the plague. I've never understood the concepts of sororities or frats. I think they're quite, like... It just sounds like a more concentrated version of high school, but like in college. And it's like, why would I want to replicate that scenario? Like where you're forced to be around people you don't want to be around (laughs) and they're supposed to be your friend. I was curious about it my freshman year of college because I basically wanted the networking that you get from them because everyone was like, oh, if you get in them, like you instantly get a job out of college because the network is so vast. But also I already have a sibling. So why would I join an organization to pay people to say they're my siblings? It just seemed very strange. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you got to pay and the dues are like quite expensive as well. So it's just a no. I have no 
I guess, bad things to say about sororities, because I haven't been in one, maybe they're cool. Fraternities, I could trash. Like, I think they're pretty open about their shittiness. My only experience of, like, sororities is that um, Twitter video meme that was circulating where it's like all of them clapping and the doors open and then South Park oh. parodied it. We've been waiting for you all summer and we're so glad you're finally here. Yeah, no, that's a horror movie. Them girls are dead-eyed. I take everything I say back. I think the <laughs> That's a horror film in and of itself. It's a short. I don't know if you guys have seen the the hunting ground that documentary on sexual assault and on college campuses but there's no organization in the united states that is represented more in the government than fraternities i read a fun fact about black christmas 1974 it was renamed uh in the u.s because they thought it would be confused as a black exploitation film and that made me laugh because i also thought when you initially suggested this film taya i thought oh black christmas okay and i was expecting like diverse and then i looked it up and it's like a bunch of white girls who get killed and i was like oh not not quite what i was actually expecting that makes sense especially in 74 like i'm (laughs) sure when you're like going through the newspaper to see what movies are showing that weekend you know how they did back in the day (laughs) if you just saw black christmas with no picture i think it's misleading The title of the movie doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, not gonna lie. It could be Red Christmas and it would make more sense. I have no idea what the backstory in this movie was. We just heard really weird noises on the phone and you couldn't really understand what was being said. Because like, I heard, there was like one scene where it was like, why did you leave him with the with the little girl or something like that? And I was like, I'm not sure what they're implying, but the backstory was needed in my opinion because it just didn't make sense like otherwise it's just like oh he had some issues that we don't really know about and that won't be explained and he went and killed random girls but that's why i understand the impulse for the director of halloween to like add backstory to that character because like all we know is probably escape from a mental institution the same way that the ending is so up in the air i think the backstory being up in the air was meant to like add to the horror in that like you can you can fill in what you think is the scariest version of how this came to be yeah um i actually kind of i liked the fact that we didn't have too much about the um the killer olivia hussey said in an interview that they used different men to film the murderer i guess to like keep up with the mystique and that the director said that they used a combination of five different actors' voices for the calls. And she thought it was scarier not to know the killer's identity. Which I, I think I kind of agree with. But she thinks that modern horrors give away too much. Like, they focus too much on backstory. Which I, I do agree with that point. I see, like, how you would be, like, not lost, but, like, wanting to have more backstory. I thought it was influenced by Psycho just because of, like, the broad Freudian sort of breakdowns that he seems to have on this on the phone call and that like peephole scene where you like only see his eye reminded me of like when um the guy in psycho is like watching marianne through the wall so because of that I, I kind of didn't need a backstory i was like oh it's just another um white guy but you know how in a similar way i think it was you mila who said in ep7 with hush that it's sometimes scarier not to know about the killer I feel that way here too. Like it's scarier just to know that this is random creep who we don't know anything about has got in and killing women. Like, so I, I don't think I really needed a backstory for him. The character is really represented and very animalistic. 
heavy breathing, the way he enters the house at the beginning, climbs up the wall, and he really is portrayed like a predator. And I think even I read that he's credited as the Prowler. He doesn't even have a name apart from Billy, which he speaks himself. Like nothing is given to this character in terms of rationalizations for the way he is. He's simply like a chaotic, violent, diverse killer. I was also like making the link to Hush in my head simply because I feel like Hush also did the same thing where you don't know why the killer is doing what they're doing. And it's just a random guy who is violent and perverse and everything. But the difference that I think makes Hush better than this movie is you don't get any sort of crumb that makes you think, well, what are, what, what do you mean by these random phone calls? It's just, he shows up at the house. We know he's a random psycho killer and who's violent against women and who is motivated to kill this woman for no explicable reason. But with the phone calls, I think it makes some odd attempt at a backstory that you just don't get fleshed out. So the viewer is automatically curious to why the phone calls are taking place and what's being said on the phone calls. When in actuality, what's being said has absolutely no link to what happens in the movie or any purpose at all. So getting the phone calls doesn't make sense. Oh, why don't you go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it? That'll give you a charge. I'll stick my tongue up your pretty pussy. You fucking creep! I'm going to kill you. I thought, like, that was back in the day when we were under the impression that the biggest threat to women was the anonymous stranger. It's somebody who's gonna like mug you in an alley, somebody who's gonna like creep up in the night. And and it, I thought that was sort of the point of like, th there may be a whole backstory to why a man is villainous, but we don't necessarily need to know. They don't need to have a personal connection with you. And then I'm always bringing it back to the remake because I, I'm so disappointed in the in like the things that they could have done with the remake that they didn't do. And that, so in an updated version, it should be that we are no longer afraid of the anonymous killer alone. It should be the person who knows you intimately. It's your boyfriend, it's your teacher, it's your whoever. So I gave them the pass of anonymity being scary because that was what women were talking about in the 70s. Like, okay, yes, in 2020, I do walk with my keys in my knuckles or whatever. The conversation around what is the threat has been updated since so I don't know if that was the point they were trying to make but I like I guess I I watched this with a dated eye another movie where they do like the anonymous killers like when a stranger calls which is one of the things that they the lore that they kind of base this movie off of not when a stranger calls but the babysitter getting the phone call but um in that movie, like, there's that move moment where you're watching it at home alone or whatever, and they track the call, and they're like, the call is coming from inside the house. And that's a moment where, like, you immediately feel fear. I feel like there was no moment like that in this movie where you explicitly feel fear, because, like, even when everybody is basically dead, and it's just her and the girl in the house, and they say see the guys at the window, they go answer the door, and they're like, oh, a little girl was just murdered. They're, like, laughing and playing around and being like, ah, I would have rather face the killer than talk to these dorks. I was like, I just don't know. It just felt like their mood would go from, like, extreme fear to, like, completely not caring at all about anything that was going on people were going missing people were being assumed dead and their mood did not change the entire movie or if it did it would immediately go back to like everything's fine and it just felt very strange to me to be fair i i disagree like i think that the the telephone calls generated quite a lot of the horror for me and i think that was kind of the point 
I studied this module at uni, it was like a literature and media module, and it was looking at how texts, but also films, have like treated different inventions, like portrayed different inventions as they were created. And there's this really interesting book called Avital Ronell's The Telephone Book, and they are sort of looking at the horror of the telephone, and I really, really see that here in this movie. Even though, like, the telephone is obviously, like, not a recent thing, but I think in a lot of, like, horrors from, like, that era, we get a lot of, like, playing with, like, who's on the end there and the phone, and she, or they, I don't know if they're gender, but they talk about how basically the telephone as an invention, it it conflates the subject and other it conflates subject object because we end up personifying the phone what could it possibly symbolize it conflates distance it kind of leads to a lot of like psychological reevaluations of like time space personhood so i think that this film is kind of playing on that moment as well that we see in a lot of horror so in the 70s i think early 70s i want to say like 72 73 there was a landmark case about obscene phone calls like right before this movie was made and that subpoena that allowed them to access the phone records is the reason that police can access our metadata now so they never updated it so like the police went back in the day when the technology was such that they had to like tap into the phone and like one per- one police officers in your house and like one's in the station and one person's outside that like triangulation of the call before cell phones they never really had to do that before obscene phone call like uh reports were starting to come in to me this was also like a like a groundbreaking like look at surveillance because Mm. I don't know if the movie did this because that case happened in the early 70s and then also by 76 abortion is legal in the US so there was a lot of bubbling during this time that I think that like the phone was a really interesting technology especially the way police are portrayed in this because they're like fucking useful and I don't think that necessarily would be the case because imagine even now you call the police saying I'm being harassed somebody's calling me repeatedly, they wouldn't take you seriously. Zeba, you mentioned the fear of the anonymous cooler being prominent in this film, whereas in the remake, well, we would have hoped they would have like developed on the assailant being somebody that you know and very close to you. Do you think maybe that the boyfriend, Kita, could have maybe been like a sort of glimpse of yeah. that because he is also portrayed as overbearing, creepy with the phone tapping I was like blown away by how they used to do it (laughs) what running around the effort that it takes I don't know if they were trying to add like that whole like saga of like trying to get the tapping to work or trying to trace the call to work if that was feeding into their portrayal of police as incompetent Zeba I or you made that point like I don't was that like trying to say was it like technology's hard or maybe that wasn't really a point no I was saying that the police were portrayed as more competent than in other horror movies in this one Do you it, like think I feel like yeah in that section yeah I agree the fact that they were running around was like an issue of the technology it was not an issue of their incompetence true, true. but what I was saying is like how useful are police when you call them for obscene phone calls really really are they gonna take it seriously and in this I think they took it more seriously than they would in real life or perhaps another movie do they do because it's not like i was kind of floored when watching it thinking oh not much has changed like when it comes to stalking like in terms of like the guy at the desk i think the front guy desk who brushes it off is very realistic and would happen again today 
And I think that's one thing, again, the remake did kind of well. They had that security guard who brushes it off on the same basis. I was like, yeah, because that's still consistent. No one takes, like, they li- police literally tell you, like, there's nothing we can do about this until they actually enter your house. Like, um, so that kind of floored me, that consistency. But in terms of, like, police incompetency, the ending for me was really, yeah. like, an unbelievable degree of, like, I'm not one who likes <laughs> law enforcement, but I simply could not buy the ending like (laughs) leaving a victim who also just committed murder whether or not you think he the guy that she killed was the killer or not like you're gonna leave this victim someone who just killed someone who's in shock who's pregnant sedated alone (laughs) in a house where you know the killer came from inside you haven't even done a full sweep because they didn't check the attic (laughs) um i couldn't i couldn't understand i was like i don't see even in like 70s i don't see protocol allowing that i feel like this movie i don't know i i don't know if i felt like it was explicitly feminist because like to me the fact that all of the sorority sisters whether it was whether it is or not a true representation of what college girls are like because i've been in college and yeah people are like that but all of them being like very open about their sexuality and her being pregnant to me almost felt like they were using it as justification for them not to be a final girl and that's almost why the police left her there like would they have taken her if she wasn't pregnant if she wasn't i guess unclean by horror movie standards also like the way that when people were dying it was just like very moany and almost sexual sounding there were just parts in this movie that I just found hard to believe. I think the abortion plot definitely did have something to do with the fact that abortion was a big topic in the 70s. But I don't know if it was necessarily to like advocate for women's rights or if it was just done as a plot choice. Because I feel like even though she's like fighting back against her boyfriend and when she like talks to the cop about it and he's like, are you pregnant? What baby is he talking about? The cop almost sounds like he's judging her for her choices. And I, I just, I don't know if it felt like anyone was really standing with her like in the remake I would argue you can explicitly tell that they were making a decision to make all the characters feminist Mm. but in this one I don't think you get that same idea I just think she's a young woman who does have autonomy over her body and her choice but it doesn't seem like the filmmakers themselves made that decision to advocate for women to have that choice I guess it feels a little bit like the Rosemary's Baby where you couldn't tell if like the husband marital rape scene was done as a commentary like or just as a a commentary or just to include it because it's timely or just to include it to include it i personally kind of thought maybe it's more like to not they're not necessarily trying to have a take on it either way maybe they're more just trying to show a juxtaposition of like christmas time to do with like the title like this is black christmas so instead of the birth of jesus we're gonna have a character who's getting an abortion like I agree with you. I couldn't decide if it was trying to be progressive about abortion or not. So I think maybe it was just to like parallel the birth of Jesus. I'm not arguing that it like did it well. I think it did it with the intention of like having feminist characters. Not that the movie itself is feminist. I feel like there's more depth to these characters than the ones in the remake. And just because the ones in the remake tell me they're feminist with their mouths out loud, <laughs> like it, it didn't like resonate with me in the same way. I think, yeah, maybe if you consider it within the context of the 70s, Zebra, I think you said like 70s feminism. Actually, in a sense, this film portrays women in, in kind of like a way that certainly you didn't see very much of within the 70s and 80s. If you look at like sex comedies, 
Bob Clark also directed those Porky's movies, <laughs> that sort of like hypersexualized sex comedies. And you see that in a bit with the character. Um, I don't remember her name. The fellatio character. That's the only way oh, I can um, she's Barb. Remember. I love Barb. Barb. <laughs> Barb. Barb was <yeah>. babe. <laughs> you see that kind of like that hypersexuality, the wittiness. She seems aged beyond her mm-hmm. years. Not in like a creepy, like let's age up um, minors type way, but in like a sort of she's quite like cool and laid back and in touch with her sexuality. I thought that was quite cool. Um, speaking of aging up, can we talk about how Halloween, which is sort of like people consider it the unofficial sequel to Black Christmas because Bob Clark once said in an interview that he had spoken to John Carpenter about like, what would my thoughts be if I was to ever do a Black Christmas sequel? And he said, oh, I would have it, I would call it Halloween and I'd have it be about a killer who escapes from an asylum and targets an old like sorority house. (laughs) Um... And Clark apparently does not think that Carpenter ripped him off in any way. I think differently, but I think differently, but I guess like because the script came to Carpenter already, like from about something else. So he doesn't think that it was plagiarized. I was just like, hmm, sounds a little suspicious to me, but I, I thought it was an interesting point that in Halloween, like whereas Clark and other screenwriters added in to the Black Christmas script that their college students specifically, like he even added in lines about like, for example, on mentalfloss.com, an article says that Clark really wanted to like emphasize the adultness of the college students. Whereas Halloween, which is kind of interesting because it's later, kind of I think goes back on that and it goes back to high school Mm -hmm. and like sexualizing high school women. Like the ideal would be, like you said, Taya, not to necessarily sexualize any women, but I think it's kind of, disappointing that it went back in time to sexualize underage women in the Halloween um, sort of version. I was reading on Twitter where someone was like, yeah, I pitched a show to network about people in college, like having pretty much the same sort of lifestyle of partying and everything. And they were like, oh no, that doesn't sell. It has to be high schoolers. Like people find that more interesting. I don't know why that is, but I also think it probably has something to do with like when they had that study a few years ago where like one of the most popular categories of pornography was teen even though it's not like explicitly teens in the porn it's Mm -hmm. adult film actors acting as teens it's still just like the fact that people really are interested in that genre reflects something about our society on a larger scale and their infatuation with sexualizing underage people which is extremely disgusting and problematic. And I think that needs to be talked about in the film industry more because they do it a lot in horror films. Taya, you mentioned earlier, like, the final girl, their lack of a final girl and how, like, that's an excuse. I wanted to know what everyone else thought about the final girl-ish trope. Because I think, like, obviously it's implied that she's dead, right? With the Because he only makes a call after he commits a murder. Um, do you think it's, like, not very feminist i thought it was kind of shocking seeing like to imply that she's dead seeing as we know she's pregnant i think that was kind of like really playing on like horror for america i quite liked it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you liked it cool (laughs) i know it's heavily suggested that she is then also killed but i like the ambiguity because I guess the film plays with ambiguity a lot in the killer's motives so maybe that's like a fitting end some parts of the film feel really like almost campy to me because they have those like zany characters with the house mm-hmm. mother and and it's, it's, it's a funny film mm-hmm. so I think in a way I didn't I didn't feel too like um 
robbed of a clear-cut ending because I was I, I just sort of had fun. With the whole <laughs> I just had fun. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I appreciated about the the virgin wasn't the one to survive. I appreciated that. Yeah, she died first. I was so shocked. Snaps for Billy. I really love that we did this after we looked at Scream Queens too because like this this mm. film to me is yes camp because it's not referencing anything else because any any movie that follows this formula usually happened after it from the 80s onwards slashers were a reference to things that happened in this especially like call coming from the house and like the anonymous killer and like Mm. it's girls screaming like all of that but i appreciate that this this was the originator and yet didn't follow any of the tropes but i think the fact that none of them live is almost feeding into the final girl theory of you have to be fit a certain formula to be able to survive in a horror movie and even though the virgin did die the entire house was like a frat house for girls you mean a sword (laughs) (laughs) it was like everyone was partying even the house mother like didn't care and she's like you expect me to keep your daughters like pure and stuff at college while she smokes a cigarette and like makes fun of the girl's dad like it's very much like they don't exhibit the formula of what horror movies allow women to survive in in a certain condition they don't none of them had all the qualities and also i thought it was interesting i think olivia hussey did this movie after the romeo and juliet movie and in romeo and juliet people kind of like painted her and as like a picture of like innocence and um like innocent youthful beauty and so in this movie where they have her playing someone who's about to get an abortion i thought wondered if that was an intentional choice because the infatuation with her and the nation after that movie of being like the peak of innocent beauty i wondered if that was an intentional choice maybe because she's now getting an abortion like there's not she's not exactly supposed to be an innocent character in the eyes of like american morality even like when she has the conversation on the phone with the cop and he's like what is he talking about and he's interrogating her about this honestly all he had to know was it was her boyfriend and they had a fight Mm. he didn't need to necessarily know the specifics he didn't need to know that she was considering abortion all of that was just things that he was like prying out of her and it almost felt like them leaving her there then was a punishment for what he perceived her to be rather than like his own negligence because he was like oh she's gonna have a long time before she wakes up anyway peace out and i was like i mean i'm not buying a situation where any of his superiors would be like yeah let's leave this girl in the house after she murdered someone yeah i actually really didn't sense any sort of judgment from is he a detective or a cop after she's had that phone call and he's like talking about the baby like kill our baby blah 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 and he's wanting to know the specifics and i think at least I understood it more as it's very important to, for me to understand what his potential motive is. If they at that time were suspecting him, which I'm pretty sure they were, let's say my girlfriend is getting an abortion and I don't want one, he in his detective brain is probably thinking that is like a means then for him to kill her, whatever, kidnap her, terrorize her. That was a plot hole to me because he knew, the cop knew that Peter couldn't have done, like, when he's, like, interrogating her, he's, like, well, not interrogating, he's just asking questions, I don't think it was, like, a full-on interrogation, but he's, like, was Peter home, like, when he made, when any of these calls were made, and then she's, like, oh, yeah, actually, he surprised me right up behind me, so he couldn't have made the call, and she says it while on the phone to the cop, and yet the cop still pushes the, ah, Peter did it narrative, and I don't know why, like, I get why she, in her, like, really, like, she's just, she's being attacked state of mind would, like, 
turn on her boyfriend even though she like like I get how her logic kind of forgot that it couldn't be Peter because he was there behind mm. her because she's like being terrorized and she saw him be like kind of sus when he found out about the abortion anyway and like hit the tree with that bat or what he like punched the tree I don't know what he did but she saw him be a little bit like physical and aggressive so I can kind of see how she made that own leap in her own mind and she was paranoid but I don't understand why the cop was still like and all the cops were like well case wrapped we're not gonna sweep the attic but Peter did it I thought that they thought that she was in on it. Not by the end, but I thought at some point they thought that she was a part of things and that they she was lying and, and giving him an alibi. Even worse, they really should have they really shouldn't have left her in the house. Yeah, she, she was the killer. She just killed someone. You can't just leave her there. You're right. It is plot holy, and I think if you're watching it too critically, then that spoils it. <laughs> the whole Peter psychiatry and the abortion subplot maybe see it as more like a sort of misdirection for the audience to then suspect him maybe then it's like more satisfying i think we're all too smart as an audience in this era because we watch so, so many no but we watch so many like serial killers oh i thought you meant us <laughs> no mila i do think you're a genius but i honey i don't mean you right now yeah we, like we've I, seen so yeah. many serial killer like tv shows true crime like detective shows that we like any sort of easter egg you give us like like her saying oh he was behind me on the call so it couldn't have been him we're like, okay, so it's not him. Like, we've ruled it out. That's all you have to be good at when making a horror movie is making sure your Easter eggs are tight. <laughs> One thing that's interesting about the Easter eggs in this movie is like, I feel like sometimes now when we watch a horror movie, we're like, they had so many hints on who the killer is and they don't pay attention. <laughs> but in this case, like, as soon as the cop was like, I think it's your boyfriend, even though she knew it wasn't him, she was like, it's my boyfriend. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and like, I- Horror movies nowadays, it'd be like, your boyfriend <laughs> killed your best friend in front of you. I think he's the killer. And they'd be like, no, it's not him. We just went on a date. It's like <laughs> night and day <laughs> because they have to drag things out so long sometimes. Yeah, I just put it down to she's really hysteric in the in this moment. Not even hysteric. It's a, that's a charged <laughs> word, but you know what I mean. She was just like, she's being attacked. But I did, like, think, like, wow, she does jump to kill on her boyfriend pretty quick. I wonder how fed up she was with him. In the 2006 remake or whatever, when they, like, explore, I believe that one was the worst, and that's why we skipped it. They explore the fact that one of the sorority sisters is, I think it's Gladys. The, the one, of, one of them is Gladys, and the other one, and her brother is, like, Billy, and they're doing it together. Oh, Agnes? Agnes, yeah. I think in the 2006, one of the sorority sisters is actually like the girl that he's referring to on the phone. And then oh. he's her brother and they're both committing the murders. It is very minimalist in its structure. And I saw in your notes, Taya, that potentially we go back and we give um, we give older films too much credit purely because we've had the time to ponder them. Hot tea on me and my critiques. I felt a little bit called out. But I also... I still maintain that I kind of liked that like, like he didn't have much of a backstory. I don't think I needed it. And some of the plot holes I forgive, like the fact that I couldn't tell if the walls were thick and thin because this Billy the killer has like strong hearing and can overhear like her argument with Peter. But for some reason, she can't hear him upstairs screaming down the phone. <laughs> it's like, how, how does it not work yeah. two ways? But I did see a review on morbidlybeautiful.com. It was basically insinuating that Clark's refusal to give Billy a backstory was really radical at this time. Like, because instead of making the killer the focus, the man the focus, it makes the women and their stories the focus. I guess if you're going to be someone from the 21st century who overanalyzes things, I would say 
that is kind of revolutionary in the sense that we always focus on like rapists and men, violent men's backstory, like Brock Turner, whenever anyone like tried to critique him, like there were headlines as well that were like, oh, but he's an athlete, like we can't ruin his career. So I do, I do think that's kind of why I don't mind the fact that we don't hear nothing really about this killer. But I do agree that what you said earlier about the fact that the call kind of hints that there should be something and you want to know more and maybe it's potentially unsatisfying but personally i didn't need to hear it <laughs> no offense to this woman at what is it morbidlyevil.com is that what you said morbidlybeautiful.com obviously we all have our opinions about black christmas 2019 i don't think it's a really great film or anything like that but that film is like explicitly feminist and i think it does say something about like film critic culture that we are like more willing to like jump through hoops to create a theory in which a film that is not explicitly feminist is feminist than just accepting a film by a female director and that also has female writers. But I feel like a lot of times people critique things made by women almost too much, including other women. I, I don't really know why, but I, I do feel like that is the case sometimes. Um, I'm definitely, on, I jumped on the bandwagon of this film. I love it and <laughs> I had more guys stop. <laughs> For the record I love it too. Oh, <laughs> I think like situating it within film history, it's it's an exciting film. Like we've talked about how it's unique in the way it portrays the killer, in the way it maybe forefronts the female characters. And I also desperately want to shout out the cinematographer Albert J. Dunk, <laughs> brilliant name, big fan, for creating that classic POV shot as he climbs up the wall and he basically had the camera like strapped to his shoulder and it's he himself climbing up. It's like one of those sort of cool film history movies which makes you more excited to imagine it within like the grand evolution of film and horror. But also it's funny, um, which I always appreciate. <laughs> I, I actually watched the remake first and then watched the original and was that much more angry than watching the original because all those moments, Taya, that you're picking up on of like, oh, why are they moaning? Why this still feels like the male gaze, this still feels like there could have been a critique made here. They just weren't made in most instances in the remake. And I think that's what like frustrates me about it is because there it, it it is, Mila, what you're saying, this like juicy little nugget of film history that there were a lot of things that could have been done with it that just weren't, and I'm bummed. In the latest remake of Black Christmas, the plot receives a modern twist and a social commentary on society. The film takes place in a sorority house, but in the feminist Me Too context, Riley, a sorority member, deals with the aftermath of her sexual assault and the lack of punishment towards the popular frat boy who assaulted her. The sororities on campus start to see members go missing one by one before a misogynistic murder spree ensues on campus. Up in the frat house, me and you, and we know what I'm there to do. We're drinking and kissing, and what comes next? You and I have S-E-X, but ho, 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 I didn't know. I watched this film and then proceeded to laugh for on and off for about 45 minutes. I could not help it. It was it was so it works so well as a comedy. I don't think it's meant to be obviously a comedic horror, but it is 
it's like to me a feminist parody movie it does not come across as a genuine feminist film it comes across as like a ironically if i didn't know i would think this was a guy who was trying to like oh i know this is a bad term but oh feminazi i'm gonna i'm gonna like write from like their perspective this is what they all think of men and i thought it was like funny to like see i wouldn't want to see that movie but I thought it was funny to see that mocked here because I was like, I can't believe. And then when you know that it's actually not supposed to be like that, that it was written gen- to be genuine, I was just like, that's what generated the humor for me. Like how how far down it fell from like what it was trying to do and then what it actually did. It's, it th- yeah, it just, I'm, you're right, Zeba, like it, it just very much disappointed me. Uh, I think the movie did some things very badly um and I do agree with Zeba I was disappointed in where it went because I feel like the first one wasn't like a complete shit bomb of male gaze and problematic things I felt like it was okay in that terms but there were still some points that should have been critiqued but uh in this one I feel like it was as if someone basically took the ideal of feminism but didn't take the time to apply what a feminist movie would actually be and they just were like oh let's make it in set in me too let's make it about a sexual assault on campus let's critique frat culture but nothing was happening in terms of character development so none of the characters were really fleshed out like we know riley works at a coffee shop and she was sexually assaulted and that's it and she's in a sorority that's the only thing we know about her we don't know like her hobbies and we don't even see like the friendships between the sorority sisters fleshed out or their dynamic because the murder starts so quickly and then there's other sorority houses involved as well so it kind of the going back and forth between houses is also a bit confusing it just felt a little underbaked i was trying to explain to my friend today the strange experience of enduring this film <laughs> and i think we settled on like the script feels like it was it was written by an AI robot that was fed sort of like the equivalent of live, laugh, love feminism. Yeah, my notes say it's a wine mom in one of those pussy hats from 2017. <laughs> Even consider for one second that any of what they were saying was was a good or like valid point because I was so like, I was so upset with the, with the script because I think women so rarely get to write their films, of course, also direct. They could have, okay, we, we couldn't say this over and over. They could have done so much, blah, 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 blah. But what you said, Tyre, about how women often will critique each other more harshly, perhaps especially if they are presenting their work as overtly feminist. In terms of this film, which feels like a fucking hate crime to men and women somehow, <laughs> um, and that it deals with these, these themes like sexual assault with rape, with academic institutions being part you know perpetuating that culture but doing it with so little nuance and understanding it then becomes like so so important to critique and yes perhaps more harshly because it's it's failing on all accounts and it's dangerous I know you don't always have to make like feminist perspectives palatable or like comfortable for people but it's so important that they're well communicated and this film is a fucking failure and I fucking hate it <laughs> and I'm mad at it and I'm deeply saddened by it yeah. because women deserve better female filmmakers and female audiences deserve so so much better and I'm sorry for being harsh sorry <laughs> <laughs> I did agree I I was just gonna say this film is one big woke signal I can't remember which who said it earlier but it takes more to be feminist than to just say you're feminist like I think you have to show us by 
doing. So I think the fact that there's a line from somebody saying, I'm trying to fight the white supremacist patriarchy. It's like, you don't have to tell me that that's what you're doing. If you have a good script and you're trying to do those ideals in and of yourself, it will shine through, I believe. Like if, if you just do it, you know, you don't have to have the character literally say it was like, there's too many breadcrumbs to be like, hey, look what we're doing. We're being really good here. I think I I agree that we are critiquing it really harshly and I would love to support it because it is a like female film director but unfortunately maybe it gets it catches more hell because it's whereas the other film the original is not trying to speak for a certain narrative it's not trying to speak for feminists it's not trying to speak to a cause it's just existing and we're all doing that in retrospect this film's like I'm going to speak for you like I'm going to speak for feminists and then when it gets it so wrong that's why I get even more angry because I'm like but you're not you're you're claiming to speak for me but you're saying things that are really against like my ideals like honestly the one thing that I I really hated it and I thought it was so unrelatable and I was like if any of my friends pulled this shit I'd we'd be done instantly but the part where the friends like I thought you were a fighter when she's trying to convince her to do a musical performance for her rapist I was like, I would cancel any one of my friends. Don't even matter, like, our pre-existing. I would cancel family member. I'd cancel anyone who said that to me. I thought you were a fighter. I was like, for a film that's trying to do so much about sexual assault, that was really triggering, really harmful to just throw in there and then have no commentary about it. Like, they do have a fight about it later, and she's like, you're so pushy. But it's basically kind of glossed over. And I was like, that was some toxic bullshit from her. And I I can't believe. So yeah, I do get really angry at this film. I do agree that we are being extra critical. But I'm only critical because it's claiming to speak for me and then doing it really wrong. But also, I feel like her friend who was very pushy, who made her perform, and who later on is like, chickens out, honestly, when it's time to like start fighting people and realize that people are dying. I feel like she was almost put there to represent the toxic parts of feminism in which people can unknowingly end up being just as triggering and problematic as people who are committing misogynistic acts and just like the girl was put there who was their sister but the entire time she was working covertly to help the men and stealing their items and undermining them thinking that her supporting the patriarchy would save her i think the characters may not have been given identities, but I think some of them were intentionally placed there to make you question aspects of femininity and feminism. Um, and I think that's why the pushy girl was there. And then there's even the consent aspect of her po- posting the video online of the performance without her consent. And she's like, well, you don't have to deal with the backlash. It's going to be all towards me. And you posted this without my consent. It could have been done better for sure. But I don't think this movie is a complete shit show of like trying to manipulate women into thinking it's speaking for them I don't get that at all I think they did what they wanted to do with this movie it wasn't done super well a shit show hate crime that is dangerous (laughs) I don't know I'm like who is this for if this is for like who is the intended audience I think is my issue because I think it the people who watch this are either people who are like oh I liked Black Christmas I want to see the remake are either people going into it blind, and I think that isn't necessarily going to be a feminist audience, because if you didn't know it was a remake, I don't, you would just like go into it and be like, oh, it's a horror Christmas movie about a sorority, that's fine. And then the other audience is people who are absolutely going to, sh- like, like shitty men who are going to shit all over it. Like, if the intention is that you want to have, you want people to think, you want people to like, have those thought moments of like, oh, here's what a 
supportive feminist looks like. Here's what an unsupportive feminist looks like. Here's our women who, uh, in an attempt to be accepted by men, fuck up the movement. Like all of things, all of those points were very clear, but the way that they hit it on the head so hard, either you're somebody who already knows those points and are not being convinced because it's a badly made movie, or you're a person who doesn't agree with those points and use that this was like a badly made movie to support your shitting on feminists. Yeah, I um, I think we'll have to agree to, and to disagree about speaking for. Um, I just tend to think that any anything that's going to leave as much of a breadcrumb as it did was like trying to say like, oh, I'm woke like you should be or something like that. That's why I got the speaking for thing. And there was a, like a lot of like community feeling to the sexual assault narrative, which made me feel like it was trying to speak for victims or trying to champion a victim narrative. And then when it did things really wrong, I was like, Ooh, you gotta be care. You gotta be so careful with that, with the handling of that kind of narrative. That's kind of more where I was like, less a point. It is a point about feminism, but more a point about like um, rape culture and victimhood. That part. I also agree. Like maybe it could be good to have different feminists. Like bad. Here's like something that, like that's a really great point to make about oh how you could be so into something you end up becoming what you hate. Um, in that one character, <laughs> but I I don't think because you like we mentioned before the characterization is so poor that for me it wasn't delivered like I didn't really get that she was meant to be an example of a different type of feminism I just kind of because then they all kind of vaguely resolve their issues because the killings start and there's no time and then they all become back into sisterhood in a way that didn't seem believable for me I didn't realize until you mentioned the rape narrative actually what induced so much rage in me with this film and I think it is that not only is it messy and chaotic, but the introduction of that rape narrative is handled so poorly and it feels like such a severe injustice. You have helped me pinpoint what part of the film really got under my skin. Honestly, I would say the abortion was also a very strange thing to make as a side plot. And her sister's response to it was pretty shitty as well and forcing her to do the performance. But there's also, I think, at play here, there, there are parts that I think they did well some parts of it and the performance in front of the fraternity and calling them out public in such a public way was almost like cathartic to see but uh, the part of the movie that annoyed me was actually the fact that they basically made like the black guy who worked at the coffee shop with her like her yuppie his urge to be with this random white woman was so strong that he broke away from a curse that they gave him to be a misogynist to save her. I thought that was real weird. Jumping off of that, I was also bothered that the black or mixed probably girl was the one who like had to have, was like the angry feminist who fucked everything up for her friend and was too pushy. Mm. That's its own business. But I think I'm now just realizing why the ending in particular I think is the word you use, Mila, dangerous, is because it makes patriarchy look like a conspiracy. It's like all these all these crazy feminists think that there's these networks of men and they're working behind the scenes and they're they're all out to get you, which is true. All of that is true. But when you frame it as this like secret society that's like worshiping a dead founder and they have to get blood samples or whatever, like the, the magic behind it was, made it not serious anymore master of the dark arts he left instructions on how to create an army of young men to take our power back you're all insane no no not insane miss stone simply men 
Tired of seeing ourselves falsely accused, our livelihoods threatened, marginalized and belittled, reduced to spectators in our own lives. Upon graduation, our army will venture into courtrooms, boardrooms, and the halls of Congress to set the world right. Fraternities are fucking evil networks that that work behind the scenes to to fuck up society that is true but when you make it this oogie boogie spooky <laughs> and border it with comedy that's when it's dangerous because that's when you can say oh look at the feminists and their conspiracies about the white patriarchies everywhere it it, it took the seriousness out of what is a very actual real thing that exists in the world and affects us. i literally wrote in my notes this is why men don't take us seriously because <laughs> i was like uh, yeah exactly that i'm this is kind of throwing it back sorry but i was saying to articulate mila's point it made me angry personally because it was like it promised it, it from the offset it promised to be woke and then ended up being quite triggering in how it handled things so that, i think that's why i was angry at it because of how it was marketed it like i as a viewer let my guard down and then ended up being more trigger triggered than i would have been if i had just like from the offset knew what i was getting like if it didn't if it didn't have that feminist market glean to it so i think that's why i hold it even more culpable to be fair on the director uh, she was like asked to do it in um in a really quick time frame like maybe they didn't have enough time to handle like you said these massive plot points like in the previous film it was abortion in this film it's um the under the rape culture in 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 universities so i would say like in that kind of like quick turnaround maybe she couldn't handle it as delicately as she liked so i'm not trying to be like they're a terrible person. I don't mean that. I just think that this was a really like bold top, big, sorry, big topic that was not handled the most responsible way. But I also hold the production company responsible for that. And I think this was the first film directed by a woman that Bloomhouse production company has put forward. And I know that the Bloomhouse guides, I think it's Jason Bloom, Blum, caught flack because he said something about how there were a lot he doesn't have any films directed by women because there are not a lot of women in horror i need to take it back and said that was a stupid comment but i think like this almost feels like a man who's coming under fire cherry picking a film and that's marketed as feminist so that he doesn't have to catch any more flack for having made that comment i don't know the time frame but even so i know that even if it was before he made that comment or after they were probably already getting some critiques about how there's not a lot of women directors so this felt like a little bit tokenistic for me in terms of women and female directors and feminism i don't know if maybe i'm biased but i feel like this movie would have almost been more nuanced if they changed the character who played riley to a woman of color um, just because it felt almost like her friends were either oddly gaslighting her or like mammying her and the stereotypes were just too much. If they would have switched her character and her pushy friends character, the movie almost would have worked a lot better, to be honest, just because th- they made her friends such a walking stereotype of like her going through extremes of being an angry black woman and then a mammy. And there was absolutely no in between. Like when they were in the house fighting the f- frat guys on steroids, whatever. And when they're fighting the super villainous frat boys injected with venom. And she would like go through extreme lengths to save Riley. But Riley was almost letting her get killed every time. And so I guess it was almost payback that she was like, cool, go b- break it yourself. I don't know. I did also think that 
I, again, like a re- the reason why I put this film under so much scrutiny is because it's saying you're trying. I'm trying to fight the white supremacist patriarchy, and I'm like, I, or I'm trying to like critique non-inclusive di- curriculum, and I'm like, okay, but how are you even doing that within the script? I personally did not catch that one of them was queer, um, <laughs> but I'll believe you if you say there was a line about it. I missed it, so I was I was wondering why there wasn't a queer character. If, um, but then I was also like wondering why we had another like. Um, only a white feminist central lead I also thought it would have been better if she was a person of color and uh, have you seen that what you're saying makes me think of that it was again like some tweet and it was like oh Netflix is so diverse and it was like the diversity in question and it was a screenshot of all these mixed women and it's like um, I mean I'm a mixed woman and it's like yeah of course black we're black too however (laughs) we're still black but there needs to be like dark skinned women black women on tv and i am personally also sick of seeing these roles filled by like a light-skinned woman and they're like okay we've done it we got our black character that's why i was also a little bit like do better to this movie because like you're claiming to like critique it but i don't think you're actually doing enough on your own like on your own soil i think they did a great job at showing how white women viewed the me too movement because like in I May Destroy You when she has that when she's rewriting her book and she's talking to her publishers and she says like is it too late to join this tribe called women I was too busy being poor and black honestly (laughs) the tribe called women in this movie was almost exclusively like upper middle class white women at a school that seemed like it had a pretty high tuition the rooms were very nicely decorated everyone had expensive luggage the wardrobe was on point they seemed to not have a care in the world besides the fact that the frat houses were misogynistic and committing sexual assault that was the only concern in the movie and then the subplot of her wanting to critique the curriculum being white it would have been nice if they threw in some of the authors that she wanted to add Mm. to the curriculum add any more substance to the movie maybe add an maybe add asian characters add more black characters but it was a movie that was overwhelmingly white and i think there were two mixed girls in the movie and then one mixed boy who was um ready to simp for the white girl can we talk about good old landon so many like on the nose like landon walks in and i'm like oh here's landon our good old like black guy is gonna be gonna be the redeeming act of all men like not all men like oh he's our sweetheart and he's wearing glasses of course of course because oh nice guys wear glasses that's another thing i was like oh god so there were some stereotypes that it definitely still like perpetuated while it was trying to combat them but in terms of landing at the ending something that i didn't like about the ending was i didn't like the portrayal of like all men as like these empty vessels that are filled by this supernatural force that is misogyny because i thought actually that's that's super unhelpful and in some of like the sorority stories that Mm -hmm. we have been discussing like our real life examples like it shows that sorority and like rape culture it's calculating it's thinking it's it's there's a thought process and a logic behind it and there's a lot of work that goes into gaslighting and covering up these things so i don't like it being like oh if you enter if you get too close to this bus you're gonna get a migraine your eyes will bleed you'll become like an unstoppable sexist prick because i in the same vein that I had a similar critique for the craft when um, when the, Chris, I think, when Chris tries to like sexually assault Sarah and it's because he's under a love spell, I thought this was a similar vein of like, okay, but you're making it so we can't necessarily see them as the villain because they were all 
under this like influence of the supernatural entity i i basically did not like the supernatural element of misogyny i thought i understood the point that they were trying to make that it's like everywhere it's omnipresent it's hard to like root out but i i thought like literalizing that as a supernatural horror was actually unhelpful saber like touched on it when you mentioned that whole like cultish fraternity trope turned out to just be like a gimmick on the conspiracy of feminism it reminded me also of your point from um Candyman, of the fact that this sort of possession narrative removes all accountability from this group of men so they're mm-hmm. just like and in a way i'm gonna throw the film a bone here in a way the idea of it being like a sort of shared mentality and something that infects a group of men could be like a commentary on you know toxic masculinity and that like group mentality I guess that could work if it was executed well I agree with what you're saying Mila and Louisa I do think it kind of erases accountability I also think they didn't make it clear whether the professor was the origin of like this goo that he was infecting the male students with um I do think people can be radicalized into being right-wing or misogynistic at college but I also think it's kind of there and it has to be untaught from when you're a child i don't really think it's like this point of like oh they are infected with mind goo and they're completely innocent brains are suddenly infected with misogyny it felt very much of like what you what like zabel was saying like those white women who wear the pussy hats who like had just became angry with white men i don't know <laughs> like they were like i'm only angry now and i have only just begun to understand what feminism is so within the first five minutes of the film, we'd had a reference to a vibrator and a diva cup, and immediately I was turned off by this film. I was like, really? Do you have to like signal any more aggressively that these are women, and why is womanhood only defined by vaginas? What is going on? And it really annoyed me just because it felt, again, like about this sort of like... It's pussy hat feminism. That's all it is. Yeah, it was such an awkward sort of introduction to this these characters that again makes it seem like it was written by like a disgruntled feminazi who was like, what do women talk about when we're not around? Vibrators and <laughs> Why is he like a bro? I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Also that she just like popped in her diva cup. No, it was a pad because she couldn't find her diva cup. Oh. Oh my God, I thought she did it really... Okay, one, I was quite impressed, her, like, popping in a diva cup that quickly. But also, we don't do but that. She, but I read an interview that she, uh, from the director who was like, oh, my friend, that I wanted to include that because that's something super realistic. Like, I've had friends who've done that around me. And I was like, who? My friends don't put in I have pads. never had a friend put in a diva cup or a pad around me. If we're already in the bathroom and they're like, hey, pass me a tampon. Yeah, or sure. if we're, like, drunk and we're already in the bathroom together or something, sure. But I've never, like, had them just whip out, like, pass me a pad. All right, I'm going to do it right here in the middle of your bedroom. Like, also, you can bleed on your carpet. It's not a hallmark of our friendship, you know? I do want to say very quickly that this film has overtaken The Room as my least favorite film we've discussed. And that is saying a lot. <laughs> and also, speaking of... I know I wasn't a fan of Shane's random British accent, but I did quite enjoy Carrie Elwes's English accent. It was the only entertaining part of this film for me. So thank you, Carrie Elwes. Um, I'm a big fan of The Princess Bride. There's no more protecting you. No, he said, she said what was true. Don't say that this was all my fault. Because what you did is called assault. Ho, 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 I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know. Just up in the frat house, click, click, click.
The lodges of Phelps set over the Christmas holiday. A woman is left to care for and bond with her new partner's children who despise her after their mother commits suicide due to their father's plans to marry her. Grace, the stepmother, is the sole survivor of a mass suicide led by her father in an extremist Christian cult. Due to the emotional trauma of her early life, Grace depends upon medication to help her control her anxiety. Other things start to go missing and strange events occur. The Christmas holiday takes a turn for the worse. Okay, look, I'm gonna marry Grace. We, we wanted to tell you tonight. It's all her fault. I'm sorry? I said it's all her fault. What's her fault? What do you mean, what's her fault? What do you mean? You talking about mom? You left mom for, for a psychopath. Who told you she was a psychopath? Hmm? She's in your books, right? Can I make a request to start this conversation? I know that y'all like this movie. <laughs> I want you to convince me before I say anything to like it, and then I think I'll be a better conversationalist moving forward. Because I feel like I can be convinced to like it. Right now, I don't. But like I like I would like to hear an argument made and then I think by the end I'll have changed my mind. I felt like this movie was the best of a lot of elements of horror, but it didn't feel like insanely scary to me. It felt like the same vibe as the Babadook because I felt like they both were playing on like grief as the monster. So the children themselves aren't necessarily evil and it's the grief that makes them turn evil. And it's like even when they're they realize they've drove her to a catatonic state where she's basically only regurgitating what her father had told her, she's uh the little girl is like, I thought we were only doing this for mommy, like I didn't realize it had real consequences. But also, I think in a way that it shows both of their griefs because she's also grieving as well for the past and all the things that she's been through in this very strange way as if she doesn't miss her father and she definitely doesn't miss the cult but I think inside of her she feels like a guilt for taking their father from their mother and having sex with him and getting married and being happy I feel like she almost feels guilty and like she doesn't deserve those things and so it's almost like the children gaslight her into believing that she is indeed evil and she's done these terrible things by saying that they're all dead and they're all stuck in purgatory and the reason why she can't get to heaven is because she has to atone for things it felt like a very intricately done movie about grief and religion and guilt all in one as a horror movie and I really liked it. I thought it was a wild ride but also very emotional and made me cry several times. It was sad. It did make me cry in the first 10 minutes as I texted you guys. I was like, oh, why am I crying? Um, I, but I can't take any, so, like I cry at anything with film. Like, so if you give me like an orphan child or a dead mom and a child's <laughs> crying over their dead mom, I will cry. So I'm an easy sell. When they found out their mom is dead and the little girl is crying and screaming she can't get to heaven because she committed suicide, it, I thought it was interesting that they tried to punish her in the same way by making her believe she could never get to heaven and she was stuck in purgatory. When they realized that the prank went too far and she truly believed they were in purgatory at that point was only when they realized perhaps what we did was really cruel and our mother wouldn't have wanted us to do this. So I think usually when you see children in horror, they don't necessarily use 
children children it's like in the movie orphan where they're like you think it's a child but shock it's an adult who's been <laughs> looking the same age for 35 years but in this movie it was like truly just children motivated by anger and grief and I think anyone can be driven to do really crazy things by anger and grief. I wanted to talk, though, about, like, the children, because I wasn't... I, I, I need to be convinced, too. I liked the film. I liked the atmosphere of it. I liked the plot. But I wasn't necessarily certain that children would be capable of this degree of gaslighting that they were. Uh, maybe, like, I don't know how old the son is supposed to be. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're, like, psychopathic level of like manip- like a fun stepmother prank is like the parent trap you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> it shocked me because i was like i don't know and i spent a lot of time around children in general like i was i, I just don't necessarily see this being believable i like that it, i i get i i did like the ingenuity of like making the child the mon the villain but i i wasn't necessarily convinced that they would be capable of it Extreme cruelty aside, this is like a bomb ass prank. Mila! No, 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 no. No! Great execution. By children, I am somewhat impressed. This was like, I've never seen this kind of planning, this kind of dedication. And in a way, when he then tells her, oh, it's a prank, it's not real. At first, I didn't believe him because I was mm. like, there is no way. Not not that, okay, later that there's no way that these children could be this horrific and cruel. But then I was like, there's no way these children could pull this off. So there was kind of like a weird plot hole there for me. And then later on, I was disappointed in that the film didn't go in the sort of like purgatory direction of like, are they dead? Like, I would have found that a lot more interesting and perhaps more engaging and could have had more, like, layers to the religious commentary. But then when they were like, yo, Jazz Hands is a prank, I was like, huh? I think I I didn't believe them probably longer Same. than you did it. I think that's like, that changed my viewing experience a lot because, like, when, when they hit you with that twist, I was like, absolutely not, fam. I was watching with other people, and I was like, why are they lying? <laughs> like, for another... T- Twenty to thirty minutes into the movie, I was like, "Why are they lying? Why are they continuing to lie? This is obviously purgatory." And I think I watched it with with the anticipation of this being like a supernatural film, like from start to like I would say two thirds of the way, and I was like, "This is still supernatural." I will. I think I have to rewatch it. The kids didn't necessarily. I don't think they realized what they were doing was wrong, or that. Taya, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? <laughs> they took her pills. It's like in their minds, they feel like it's completely justified for the situation. However, I will say it's partially their dad's fault because why on earth would you ever expect your girlfriend who's had such a traumatic experience to take care of your children that she just met who also don't like her in the house that you used to go on vacation with with your wife who killed herself? Like, I don't know. It just felt like their father literally didn't care about them at all. Also, when he comes in the house at the end and he's like, Grace, Grace, Grace. Oh, my kids. I was like, sir, do you not care about these children at all? I agree about the dad being shitty. I was literally like six months after the mom dies. I was like, nah, you'd have to put this hard on hold for at least a year. And also a family vacay is the worst way to introduce it. Like when you're locked in the house and you have no absolute getaway. Like that's the worst type of um, 
type like force bonding but i simply do not believe that that the part that i don't believe is that their morality does not kick in until a point which i thought was so irredeemable that i too zepa was also equally as gaslighted as grace and that was like no they're in purgatory because i was like children know a three-year-old a two-year-old dare i say knows right and wrong they knew what they were doing was fucked up i refuse to believe like prank gone too far nah <laughs> like the children in this movie do not have the same moral code as i think the viewer has that's why i think this movie is honestly genius because the viewer is also gaslighted in the same way that grace is and the entire time you're thinking there's no way that they're lying because they wouldn't do this this is so immoral if they really are doing this <laughs> as a prank and when you realize it is yeah. you're like so why did they do it? But I think partially part of it was in their mind, they thought it was justified for their mother's murder for her to feel like she also couldn't get to heaven. She was dead and she couldn't be with their father and her life was over. I think they wanted her to feel the pain that their mother felt when she took her life and they felt that was justified punishment for her marrying their father. Yeah, I guess if you... I do think, yeah, it is very well done in the fact that if it gaslights the audience, I even remember him packing the bag and thinking, why is he packing buckles? And then I forgot, like, when he hung himself, I was like, oh, they're, he's dead, they're dead, they're all dead. <laughs> like, I forgot about the suspenders. Maybe you're right, that's the point, that you can't assume, it's challenging the viewer's assumptions about, like, innocence and children, and maybe that's quite ingenious. I did like the film. I just, maybe I have to suspend believability on that because I'm just projecting I think there is like a way that kids want to like process trauma that sometimes is sort of like communicated in a very cruel, amoral way. I don't know. Here's my thing. I can't watch it as a horror movie. I think I have to watch it as like as a thriller. And I think it sh if I had gone into it being told it was a thriller, I would have spent so long trying to deduce is it paranormal or not. I would have been watching it with a keener eye, I think. I definitely have to rewatch it. Also, the, when the dad asked the mom for a divorce and she goes and sits at the table and then blows her brains out, I was like, "This is there's never been a more literal form of uh, separation than that. I honestly was not expecting that at the scene. I thought she was going to sign the papers, but instead she killed herself. That was intense. There was absolutely no suspense built. Like, nothing had happened in the movie until that point. Nothing of in any A lot of the critics direction. complain about this movie is that it moves very slow. But I feel like the slowness is almost what makes it, like, so creepy and scary. And, like, where you yourself almost feel like you're in the place of grace in the movie. Because it just moves so slow. And then, I don't know, maybe because my house is hella cold at the moment. <laughs> I was like, I am in this cabin. I am in this lodge right now. It felt uh, very real. And, like, the viewer could imagine themselves in that place. And also, I feel like, honestly, at the end, where Grace does snap and she is unable to even process anything and she's completely snapped, I don't even think she's at fault. I mean, I honestly feel like this is a case of you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. Like, <laughs> I think they honestly walked themselves into the situation. The only person who was kind of like innocent in this was the dad, but he should have never left his kids with her. But like, neither her nor the children were in an emotional state where they were ready to be together. And I felt like by him asking her that, she almost felt like he was asking her, like, are you ready to be with me and like commit to being with me? And because she like loved this man and wanted to be with him, she took on more than she was willing to take. And I feel like sometimes in relationships that happens in general when people ask you a question that feels like it's coded for something else like are you ready to take on being along with my kids for the weekend she's like well if I marry him I'm gonna be along with his kids at some point 
he expects me to say yes to this question. If I say no, it means that he can't fully accept me yet in this relationship. And so I felt like him even asking her that when he knew the answer was, my kids hate her. They don't want to be along with them. I had to beg them to come on this weekend was irresponsible. I agree. Dad's big trash. I also really agree with the fact that I had a lot of difficulty. Okay, as a disclaimer, I don't want to see violence against children or children be harmed in any way, but I had a lot. And I'm not saying that this (laughs) ending was satisfying, but it did make me think like you you play with fire you get burned i was like what i i the line that was going through my head was when i watched it was like well what did you expect like you you triggered this woman with your psychopathic Mm. prank and this is what happens but i do i don't think it was satisfying in the same way that like if these characters had been adults then i would have a very similar reaction as i did with carrie where it's like yeah revenge yeah this is what you get kill them i want to see them dead i didn't have a lot of sympathy because i was like you you orchestrated your fate like you 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 were the author of your own demise here and um i did wonder like if they had been adults like would i have been rooting for grace to just shoot them probably yeah i think one thing that's interesting is like i think that it was a good choice in them not to show what happens at the end but also i think the ending wasn't satisfying because the entire movie all you you know that grace just wants to be a good stepmom and she just wants to be happy and she wants to move on from the past but they've put her into a state where she is exactly where her father would have wanted her to be who we all know at this point is an awful man who orchestrated a mass suicide in his cult for his own i don't even know what uh so she's in a worse place than she was when she was 12 years old and it's all these kids fault because they just did this because they were angry about what happened with their mom and their dad but basically no one wins here it's not like she's getting revenge for being wronged it's like she's literally incapable of living in in the world at this point because they've literally broken her to the core and she's only able to regurgitate out the prayers and stuff that her father did and she's self-harming and burning herself and you see her at the end and she's got burns all over her face from the self-mutilation religious practices and there's no win in the situation they literally broke her and led to their own death and their father going back to the cult theme like the the pillars of a cult what really like bugs me about the ending is like she actually could have been deprogrammed. Like, the father's an expert in cults, and, and I'm sure if he does not know how to deprogram... Oh, no, he did. He deprogrammed her the first time. This mental break that she reaches is not is not a place that she hasn't been before. I think all, all the time while, the like, waiting for the father to return, I was waiting for, like, the resolution of things. I think that's why the ending... Like, I'm not satisfied, not because... Uh, their children or not children or whatever I think it's I think it's that yeah like Ty like you were saying nobody wins and I think there were scenarios for this to like go a lot of different directions but in the end I'm like oh but they are children but they they I don't think they were in their right minds like in in a way it felt like a possession story and the way that they tried to like turn the car around when they realized it had gone too far at, at the point in the movie where it happens, it's almost the end. And it, that's why it's sort of like, ah, no, everything could have been different. And I think like, th- I think that's why I'm like satisfied and not satisfied because I, it, I don't see it could go any other way. When her, the father deprogrammed her, I don't think she was like, 
convinced that she was dead. I think it was just like the religious beliefs that he had to get out of her. But I think it was like part of the problem was they convinced her that everyone was dead. So her actions had no effect on anything. It wasn't like she was actively killing people. She was like, oh, we're already dead. So we just have to kill ourselves in purgatory so we can get to heaven because that's how we're going to atone. And I was like, if they wouldn't have done that, then it probably wouldn't have had the result that it did. And then also I want to question her fa the father being obsessed with her father and researching that cult and finding her could this be grooming i don't know it felt very weird to me i was like for him to like latch onto her father's cult mm. find her and like somehow get her to fall in love with him and be willing to jump through hoops for him in the same way that she did her father seemed a little grooming to me there's also an like implied a, a i mean it's obvious anyway an age gap right like she's meant to be the younger version of their mom in a way and I think like that age gap here is really problematic when you're going like I don't understand how you could like fall in love with the victim in your report that you're doing I think that's really problematic here also to throw in daddy's trash um storyline uh, narrative that we have going on here uh I think it was also implied like heavily that he cheated on his wife with her because that's like how they ended up like hooking up so yeah. fast and getting remarried so fast in which case, like, I think that's big context as well as to why the fuck would you put your kids alone with this woman, especially six months after your wife kills herself? Because of that, I was like, I, I don't understand the father's train of thought any at any point. But if he was grooming her, surely he'd have more power over her and could maybe, like Zeba said, deprogram her at the end. You know, like if he was like, if he had groomed her to be like, then wouldn't he be like the lead in her mind, like her leader? So he might be able to talk her down more. But then I understand she's also so far gone. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, I think it's a problematic relationship from start to finish. Also, how did he even publish the research that he gathered after he began a sexual affair with the person he was interviewing? That is um, unethical. And I don't know in what world he got away with it. But I think in most situations, that would definitely invalidate any of the research that you're doing if you engage in a relationship with the person you're researching and interviewing and getting most of your data from because at that point it's just not reliable. So not only is he a terrible father and possibly a terrible person, he's also a terrible researcher. As we've, we've talked about that so many times. How many times has it been like a problematic anthropologist? <laughs> what did you guys think of, for me, the scariest part of this film was the fact that we were all, I felt as gaslighted as Grace and thinking that it, we were all in purgatory. Yeah. And then I was like, this This made me think, like, purgatory sounds so much more frightening than hell. Like, I did, I'd never really dwelt on it, do you know, like, before. Um, I guess maybe a little bit in American Horror Story where she's stuck in purgatory at the end or something. Or maybe she's already in hell and it's just the day repeating over and over again. But that concept, like, terrified me to the core. And, this, and like, the fact that how quickly you could believe it also terrified me. And I was like... I think they go the route of, like, she only believes it because of her psychological trauma. But I was like, I feel like if someone did that extent, I would also believe it. So yeah. I think that's what made yeah. it, like, quite terrifying for me. I was like, oof. And this is what brings it back into the realm of horror as opposed to thriller. Because I was like, that, that like, fear induces. I was like, okay, yeah. That is what, it's horrifying to think. It has a horrifying effect on me. So therefore, I think it's horror. I've always been under the impression that, like eternity anywhere would be hell like <laughs> you can leave the good place when you're tired of it and you want to just not exist anymore because you're like being anywhere even if you have everything you ever wanted eventually is going to be hell 
I think I needed their morality to kick in a little bit earlier, but then I think if it had done, then I wouldn't have been as gaslighted to the effective degree that, like, you were talking about, Taya. So, I, I don't know. I, it's like a give and a take. Like, I don't necessarily believe it, but I think mm. it had a great effect. I would say that their morality never kicked in. The only reason that they started freaking out is because they got fucking scared. Like, a dog is dead. That's scary. They're scared that this woman is going to kill them. They're, they're, at no point did they stop the prank because they were like, we've gone too far. She's upset. The little girl is like, um, if she stays outside, she's going to freeze to death. So we have to convince her that it's fake so she can come in the house and not die. Excuse me? No, if she died and froze to death, they'd be in trouble. That, <laughs> I feel like... That is their main concern. I think they're still being like selfish and psycho. We're leaving. I need my pills and we're just gonna walk to the nearest town and call your dad and then he's gonna come pick us up. So you have to pack your things. What are you talking about? We can't leave. It's not up for discussion. Look outside, Grace. That's crazy. We don't even have our jackets. We're not going. I'll go alone. You won't make it. Grace. Grace. Don't go. I needed to see more about them like just before you know because i think i agree like if, if some tragedy happens at a very impressionable age it can twist and 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 like their moral compass but i feel like there needs to be time for that to take effect i don't know i i think i just needed to see like more of their angst beforehand and then i could have believed it because if i do believe that they're psychopathic children then i could believe that they would do all of it i mean i think to some extent that the dad was also quite religious otherwise i don't think his daughter would have rationalized her mother committing a suicide as she can't get to heaven um and being like she's gotta she's gonna go to hell because she committed suicide i was like that's a lot for a child to know without a parent indoctrinating it in them so I think to some extent the dad is kind of a reflection of her own father just in a significantly less extreme version I, I think part of it was like he almost was a reflection of her own father because his kids weren't not religious even for him to be a religious scholar researching cults they still had very intense religious views for children which I thought was strange because I would have thought for him to be researching extremist Christian cults, he wouldn't be very extremely mm. religious. But to teach your children that people who commit suicide are going to hell, like, you got to be somewhere on the very religious scale, I think. I mean, they had they had crosses and stuff in the house. They had, like, yeah. iconography in the house. That's what set her off. Like, having those things around bothered her. She, like, is going to look for their father in the town or help. And she sees, like, the ghost of her own father I thought that was like more of an indication of like the identity of the father's kind of overlapping and also like the fact that his grip on her was starting to be stronger to the point where like her envisionment of safety was almost like collapsing back into those beliefs just because that's where the children were driving her there was kind of like a sort of um 40 days and nights in the desert type vibe with her going out into the like snowy landscape and she has a vision of the father like actually I really quite liked the like religious imagery in the film but was it in our notes 
one of you might have put like a critic's thoughts or your own about how actually in the end the religious commentary is quite thin it doesn't really amount to much yeah why why is this a christmas movie yeah, I'm like, I'm just wondering if the, if like there was amped up religion because it was a Christmas movie, because mm-hmm. like maybe the, the house was more decorated or like that was like yeah. the trigger point. But I, I, I guess, like, yeah, I was expecting, especially because it's a cult movie, more religious symbolism. That's why I was kind of disappointed when it's like, this isn't purgatory. I think when I think about the whole film, it, it doesn't really like incite much. However, when I'm watching it, each scene or even each sequence is crafted really, really well. And in those moments, it's all very engaging, but actually perhaps it doesn't translate into like a cohesive film because by the end and after I'd watched it, I'm kind of like, it was good, but forgettable, actually. I don't think like the purgatory point is, I don't know. I feel like they kind of are in purgatory in a way because there is no real escape from where they are like the snow is so deep that they couldn't even drive the car and there's literally like one way in and one way out because the dad had to have the guy snow plow him just to drive to the house and then once the guy leaves there's no way out and they're all stuck in sort of like this purgatory of guilt and grief and confusion together and the only way out honestly is death at the end in a way he did sort of leave them in like this purgatory of grief and anger to kind of work things out and in the end, the choice was made and the way that they were going to get out was death because of the way that they gaslit her into insanity. Zeba, do you like the film more now? Oh yeah, what are your final thoughts? Um, I think my final thought is I definitely need to watch it again and like stop waiting for ghosts and specters <laughs> to appear because it's not going to happen. And I think I need to watch it as not a horror movie, as yeah. a thriller or like a psychological something or other. And because I also think I was watching for the wrong things. I will say I went in misled by the reviews because it got such critical acclaim that I I think I went in. I wanted them to like give me, I don't even want to say like a hereditary, but it, you know that like era of horror that's like it's, it stays with you. There's shock value to it, especially after that first suicide. I was like, bet. All right, I'm strapped in. I'm ready to go. I'm prepared for to be shook if that makes sense. And then when it proceeded to be like this slow burn, especially one that I found very confusing by the time the twist happened. They even had that like hereditary dollhouse. What did you think of the dollhouse? Because I read one review saying that the dollhouse was confusing element about, I think it was on Variety. I actually quite liked it. I thought it was creepy. Dolls always creep me out. (laughs) I think like without that, it wouldn't have too many of the markers of horror. It's like a horror in the same way Black Swan's a horror for me, psychological horror. Oh, no, that's yeah. a better way. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a I better way. I think the way. dollhouse was almost, like, representative of the home that was broken by the father and Grace's relationship. And, like, the doll itself is representative of her mother because she wants that doll with her at all points and she wants to keep it safe. And, like, the youngest child, the little girl or whatever, her true mark of, like, when she realizes she's in danger is when she burns the doll. Um... And so I felt like it was almost like Grace forcing them to let go of their mother. And that was like the the scene of the height of her grief. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. And on Twitter at The Mom Fem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts to be our next Witch of the Week. We also have a TikTok now, so follow us at The Monstrous Feminine for podcast clips and more fun. 
Brooms up, witches out. Have a wonderful holiday season.